0: You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit marathonchurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to be with you today. And I just want to give you a little heads up. Uh, today, at the end of the message, Pastor Eddie's going to be out here. He's got a special word for you. And so I uh, look forward to that. He, he's coming out. And uh, hey, welcome to Time Change Sunday. Um, welcome, everybody watching online. So glad you're watching online. Uh, I hope that you're alive and alert. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say alert. If you're watching online, maybe type alert in the chat. Um, I would encourage you also, if you're watching online, to engage with our online hosts today. If you have any questions, prayer requests, they can help you with those there. You know, a lot of people think this is like the worst day of the year. Like for sure the worst Sunday of the year. Anybody feel like that? You lost an hour of sleep. Nobody wants to lose an hour of sleep. Yeah, some of us, you know, it's just like the worst day of the year. And yet it, for me, it takes a couple days, you know, to like get used to this new time. But how many of you do what I try to do? And like set your clock ahead super early and then go to bed at the normal time. That, that's what I try to do. You know, just a little Jedi mind trick on myself. Actually, I'm a golfer. Uh, not a prereq- prerequisite to be a pastor here, but it helps. Um, so like th- this, this is the best day of the year if you're a golfer because it means more evening sunlight. That equals more golf. So glad you're here And uh, I'm excited to be here, and I'm so glad that you are here, that you're watching online. And I have the privilege today of beginning this new series called Bystander. And I I don't really know where you're coming from. I don't know if you consider yourself a church person. I don't know if you're a Bible reader. I'm guessing there's probably some of you not real sure about the Bible. Uh, Some of you actually reading the Bible for yourself. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. You're reading it for yourself. Uh, Because the Bible is, it's an amazing collection of incredible documents. And it literally has everything that you could ever want in a great book, movie, or binge-worthy series. The Bible has drama and comedy and romance and sex and violence and mystery. I mean, it literally has it all. And over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through one of the amazing documents that comprise what we call the Bible. And we call this particular document the Gospel of John. It is the Apostle John's recounting of his travels with Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about what we read in his account. John doesn't tell us everything that he saw. He doesn't tell us everything that he heard as he walked with Jesus. In fact, he says, there's not enough space to contain it all. There's not enough space for John to tell us everything. For the next few weeks, we're going to walk with John as he walked with Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus interacting with people. And we're going to see Jesus teach and preach. And we're going to see some of the miracles that Jesus performed. And before I really dive into John's account, I want to talk about the tension that existed at that time. And it may be a tension that you're dealing with now. And and I want you to understand, I'm not just trying to rock the boat this morning. I'm not just trying to rock your world, but I do want you to think deeply today. I know you lost an hour of sleep and now the guy's asking me to think. I want you to think deeply today about religion and Christianity and Jesus. And there's a tension that we must deal with. Turn to your neighbor and say tension. Type tension in the chat if you're watching online. Here's the tension. We, we have these two words that we use quite a bit in Christianity. And they may be the most overused and misused words in Christianity. And they are the words faith and believe. Faith and believe. You see, because if we, if we set aside religion... If we set aside Christianity, if, if we set aside the context in which many of us heard these words used growing up, we know what these words mean. We know what these words mean intellectually. We know what these words mean in the context of home and work and school, etc. We know what they mean, but then when we drop them into a theological context or into a church context, they suddenly take on new meaning. And here's what I mean. In the real world, in the real world, we believe, okay? We believe things based on evidence. In the real world, we believe things based on evidence. In the real world, you believe things based on what you have seen or heard or what you have read from trusted sources. We we decide what we believe based on information that we have gathered and events that we have observed. For example, if I tell you that Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback, you may take my word for it. Or you may take the word of an analyst on TV, and ultimately, you may watch him play and think, yep, that guy's a pretty good quarterback. If I tell you that South Carolina is gonna be good at football this year, you might say, well, I hope they're good. Because you don't have a lot of evidence to base, you know, your belief upon. I apologize to the Carolina fans. Hashtag spurs up. We, lo- we love you all. Listen, you, you don't need me to tell you that our worship band is extremely talented. I mean, you can, you can draw that conclusion on your own. Folks, our, our music is so good. Come on, somebody. I mean, Seriously. And you believe the music is good because you've experienced it firsthand. In the real world, we make decisions about what we believe or don't believe based on evidence. We decide what we believe or don't believe based on what we see or what we read. And if we read something, that belief is based on our confidence in the person who delivered the information. So check this out. You may believe that seven times seven equals 49. And you may have taken a parent or a teacher's word for it. But how many of you have ever taken M&Ms and lined up seven rows of seven M&Ms? Anybody? I have. See, when our oldest Richie was learning his times tables, we wanted it to really like click in his head. Like we really want him to get his head around it and understand it. And so we lined up rows of M&M's. And when the exercise was over, we ate the M&M's. So it was good for everybody. See, most of us didn't learn our times tables that way. We just took somebody's word for it. So we come to believe things by the evidence and by what we see and what we hear and what we read. Now, sometimes there's conflicting information and then you're not sure what to believe. Like eggs. Are eggs good for you or no? Because I remember like 30 or 40 years ago, eggs were going to kill us because of cholesterol. And then eggs were okay because there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol. Now, keto tells me to eat all the eggs I want. And go ahead and eat the red meat and cheese too. And I'm like, bring it on. This stuff's good for me. Bring Bring me your finest meats and cheeses. Let's go. This stuff's good for me. Now, do you see what I did there? I brought my bias into it. See, I want this to be true. I decided I was going to listen to and buy into what I wanted to hear. We call that confirmation bias. I want meat, cheese, and eggs to be good for me. I also want M&Ms, preferably peanut butter M&Ms, to be good for me too. It just doesn't work quite that way. So we all lean toward a confirmation bias. We want to listen to information that confirms what we already believe. So when it comes to my diet, I want to listen to what confirms what I already believe or what I want to be true. And we all struggle with confirmation bias. And here's the point. This is the point. All of us in our real world experience know what it means to believe something. We all know what it means to have faith in something. It's like the oldest analogy ever, especially from preachers, but how many of you checked the sturdiness of the chair before you sat down today? Based on experience, based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, you just sat down. You had faith that the chair was going to hold you. But it wasn't mindless faith. There was a reason you believed that. Most of you sat in the same chair that you sit in every week. You knew it worked last week, so you knew it was going to work today. That's what we do. We know what it means to believe something. We know what it means to have faith in something. And this is what we're going to discover in this series. When it comes to those words, when it comes to believe and faith, they do not take on special meaning when you drop them into the context of Christianity. And here's the problem. Religious belief and faith are often divorced from logic and reason. For what it's worth, Jesus never told us to check our brains at the door. Religious belief and faith are often divorced from logic and reason. And when they're separated from reason, they turn into hope. And when I say hope, I mean this kind of hope. Man, I hope he shows up on time for work today. Well, was he on time yesterday? No. Uh, was he on time the day before? No. But I hope he's on time today. <laughs> when we separate belief in faith from logic and reason, we move into that kind of hope. And that's why we say things like, you just have to believe. You just got to have faith. And people have probably actually said to you, you just have to have more faith. You just have to believe. And it doesn't really make sense in real life because you either believe something or you don't. Now, there is a time when you're trying to figure things out, but when it comes to Christianity, the idea of just having more faith or more belief, the Apostle John might say, Really? Where did you get that? The truth is, you don't find that in the teaching of Jesus, you don't find that in the New Testament. And I don't really know where the whole just believe, just have more faith thing came from. But what we will discover as we walk through John's account of his journey with Jesus is that it's a completely different deal. Frank Turek, who is a lecturer and debater on college campuses, says this. He says, the reason so many people are easily talked out of Christianity is because they were never talked into it in the first place. And you know people like this. You you know somebody that was talked out of their faith. And the reason that students, college students, graduates, adults, senior adults, are easily talked out of Christianity is because they were never talked into it in the first place. They were just told, well, you just have to believe. And that may be what you were told by a parent or a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a preacher you just have to believe and then you grew up and you were talked out of it by a book that you read or a professor that you had or a debate that you watched on YouTube because you were never talked into it in the first place or or maybe you left faith maybe you left the church maybe you were talked out of it by the behavior of somebody who claimed to have great faith So this guy, John, who, by the way, has like the best nickname ever. John and his brother, James, were called the sons of thunder. Is that the best nickname or what? Jesus nicknamed John and James the sons of thunder because one day they asked Jesus if he wanted them to call down fire from heaven on a guy. Apparently, they had those people in their life. And they just wanted to call down the thunder on them. And you know what? I want to call down the thunder. I want to be a son of thunder. So this is what John, the son of thunder would tell us. I did not follow Jesus because of faith. I did. I didn't just take it by faith. I didn't just believe. I didn't just have faith. John did not believe and follow Jesus because of faith. Please get this. John left his father's fishing business and followed Jesus because of what he saw. Because of what he saw. John, who outlived all of his friends and all of the people that were closest to Jesus, he documented most of the stuff he saw, all of the stuff he saw, Near the end of his life, John decided that he needed to write down what he saw because he knew that we wouldn't get to see it. So he wrote down his account of his journey with Jesus. And listen, this is the best thing about John's account. John was not looking for a lucrative publishing deal. John did not write to get on a bestseller list. John did not write to make bank on Amazon. And, and, and. John did not simply tell us, what happened. John wants us to know why it happened. And at the end of his writing, he gives us his purpose His purpose statement. So do you know how when you write a paper, you have to have a thesis statement? Your thesis statement is the big idea of your paper, of your writing. And typically your thesis statement is near the beginning of your paper, but In John's paper, in his writing, he put his thesis statement at the end. He put his purpose statement at the end. So check this out. We're going to read from John's writing and and years, you know, centuries later, we put chapters and verses in there. So it's in chapter 20 of our modern Bible. This is what he wrote. Jesus performed many other signs. That's a really important word. We're going to come back to that. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So he's saying there was a lot of people around. A lot of people saw this stuff. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. And when he says this book, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about the document that he's writing. And then he gives us the purpose statement. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose statement. That's the reason that he wrote this document. That last sentence is so important. It's the purpose statement. He said, I'm not writing just so you'll know what Jesus did. I have written all of this down so that you will believe. And I didn't, I didn't write down everything. I wrote down these things. So that as you journey with me, as I journeyed with Jesus, that you will experience Jesus in such a way that you will be convinced that he is who he claimed to be. Listen, listen, listen. John is not saying you just have to believe. You just need more faith. John is building a case to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's a very specific thing that John wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And notice that there is an outcome, a result from believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. By believing in Jesus, you get life in his name. You get life. Turn to your neighbor and say life. Maybe type life in the chat. You get life. John is telling us, look, there were all of these events during his journey with Jesus. They were all of these events, and they were not just random events. They were signs that pointed to something. John is telling us that there were a series of events that led him to belief in Jesus. They were signs that point to something. John is telling us that there were a series of events that led him to belief in Jesus and the sequence of events brought him to faith in Jesus, And John is going to lay out that very same sequence for us so that we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. There was a sequence of events. They're not just random events. And these events were signs that pointed to something. These events served as evidence. These events were signs that pointed to something. They were evidence. And because of the evidence, because of what John saw... Because of what he heard, he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. So you may be thinking, is that really how it happened for John? Just so we're clear, John did not begin with, I put my trust in Jesus and I just hope that it would all work out. In fact, if you read all four accounts of Jesus' life on this earth, you will see his followers believe and not believe. You'll see them follow and then not follow. They were sure, and then they weren't so sure. They were convinced and then they were unconvinced. And it wasn't faith that convinced them. It was what they saw and what they heard that convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. So check this out. The supernatural acts of Jesus, the supernatural events of Jesus, the healings, the walking on water, all of of the miracles were not just random acts of kindness. He was certainly not just showing off. They were signs. And John recognized that they were signs. And they were signs that pointed to Jesus' identity. Now, it's easy to get enamored with the miracles and forget that they had a purpose. They were signs that pointed to Jesus and his identity. So today we're going to look at our first sign, our first miracle. And there's a very good chance that you've heard of this miracle, the sign. In fact, it's so well known that John doesn't say, even say explicitly what the sign is. And here's what we have to know. By the time John wrote this down... This was an ingrained part of teaching and preaching in the Christian world at that time. And 2,000 years later, here in America, it's part of our everyday vernacular. The first sign is turning water into wine. So we're going to read again from John's writing, this time in the portion that we call chapter 2. And this is what he writes. On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. That's a city far north of Jerusalem. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and, and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So Jesus is there. His mother Mary is there. And the disciples were invited. So John is there. So this is an eyewitness account. And John is going to give us tons of detail. He wants us to know that this was real life. This is not a fairy tale. So check this out. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now apparently, apparently Mary was, you know, maybe some kind of wedding coordinator or something. Maybe she's the caterer or in in charge of food and beverage or something. Uh, Maybe she was just friend of the family. I don't know, maybe... Mary, the mother of Jesus, the carpenter's wife, had a little side hustle, a little side business going. I don't know. She's worried about the wine, though. She says, they're out of wine. And you need to know that weddings in that culture went on for days and days. Weddings today in our culture, let me get like, you know, a 15-minute ceremony You know, go to the reception, get like a piece of chicken smothered in something nasty. And then, I mean, that's just me, but you know, and then let me get out of there. For them, weddings lasted for days and days and they have run out of wine. It would be like running out of wedding cake at your reception. And do you find it interesting that she simply says to Jesus, they're out of wine well, see, apparently Mary knew things. Apparently Mary had seen Jesus do things. I mean, you've probably done this. Have you ever imagined what it was like to raise Jesus? I mean, when you're baking cookies and you run out of butter, you don't run to the grocery store of the neighbors. You just go, Jesus, I'm out of butter. He's like, I knew that. That's, that's the way it went down. And notice in the text that she doesn't ask him to make wine. She just says, they're out. See, she knew where to turn in a crisis. And please do not misunderstand. In their culture, this is a crisis. Running out of wine is disastrous. Some of y'all believe that. Now, none of you that grew up Baptist, but some of y'all believe that running out of wine is disastrous. this is a real problem and Jesus response is classic he says woman Except he didn't say it like that <laughs> not like we would say it it was more like it was more formal than that it was more like my lady or dear woman okay he said dear woman why do you involve me my hour has not yet come it's not time this is not according to plan because there was a plan and a purpose. This is not how I plan to go public with my ministry. But listen, let's be clear. It's unmistakable what mama wants. I mean, listen to your mother. You ought to listen to your mother because we know, all know if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. It's clear what Mary wants. What she needs. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then she just walked away. (laughs) Do whatever he tells you. She just walked away. Now listen, when we read this account, we might think, you know, this this is kind of random, somewhat random. I mean, there isn't a healing. You know, the blind are not seeing and the lame are not walking and the lepers are not being cleansed. I mean, it didn't really help anybody except maybe for the family's reputation. But watch this. Jesus has something in mind. He didn't intend to start it all here right now, but he sees an opportunity. And it's not random. And he says, or the scripture says, nearby stood six stone water jars The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Listen, we we can't miss this, all right? This is a sign. There is a purpose. So, this family's probably somewhat wealthy, they're a good Jewish family. And in the Jewish culture, under the Jewish law and covenant that was established between God and the people, they had all of these ceremonial hand washings that they were required to perform. When you show up to somebody's house, wash your hands. When you eat breakfast, wash your hands. When you eat dinner, wash your hands. All these different ceremonial hand washings that they were required to perform. And they had these huge water pots. Probably looked something like that. All right. And these empty stone water jars are not coincidental these empty stone water jars are icons of the old covenant they're icons of the old covenant whenever you would walk in someone's house or walk through someone's patio and you saw a pot like this you knew these people are jewish they got to wash their hands a lot they need lots of water They represent, these water pots, they represent the traditions and the covenant that Jesus came to replace. Jesus decides to begin his public ministry using something that would soon be replaced so that something new could be put in its place. And Jesus is using this sign to begin the narrative that the old temporary covenant with Israel is going away. And listen, it probably flies completely under the radar. And I'm not not even sure John realizes it fully until he writes this later on. Watch this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And again, Jesus is foreshadowing that all of the Jewish law all of the washing, all of the diet, all of the sacrifice is going to be replaced by him. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the good stuff. You got to love the detail, don't you? And you kind of have to laugh, don't you? He says, you know, typically... They serve the best wine first because by the end of the night or the end of the weekend, everybody's feeling good and they don't really care what it tastes like anymore. What he's really saying is they don't break out the boxed wine until the fourth or fifth day. That's... But I want you to see what the master of ceremony says. You have saved the best till now. And God had as well. The sacrificial system had set the stage for the new that was coming. Just just like the original wine set the table for the better wine that was coming. God, through Israel, through his people, established a covenant that would set up the one who would fulfill that covenant. Listen, this first sign was given so that there would be context. This first sign was given so that when John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan River and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away to the sin of the world, there would be context. Every Jewish person knew precisely that the connotation was that this was the Messiah. So Jesus sets up the context with this first sign right there at the wedding at Cana. He was telling them and he was telling the world that something new had come. Something better had come. The best has been saved till now. Just like the original wine set the table for the new wine, God's covenant with Israel set the table for Jesus to fulfill that covenant. And listen, it was so much more than a miracle. It was a sign. And it pointed to something and somebody... And nobody would really fully understand it until later. John finishes his story this way. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. There's that word. Through which he revealed his glory. And watch this. And his disciples believed in him. There was a sign. And then they believed. a sign, and then they believed. And the word believe there literally means that they put their trust in him. And the, the question that we must ponder is, why did they believe? Why did they put their trust in him? It wasn't because he got them together and just encouraged them to believe in him. It wasn't because he got them together and encouraged them just to have faith. The reason that they believed is because he gave them a reason to believe. He gave them a sign. They saw him turn water into wine, and it was the good stuff. So John has set the tone for his writing. And this is what we're going to see as we walk with John through his writing. Nobody, nobody is ever asked to believe without any evidence or reason to believe. more detail. After this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Detail. It's real life. But listen, unlike John, our faith in Jesus does not come by seeing. John saw this sign with his own eyes and experienced it with his own taste buds. And we don't come to faith by seeing like John. We come to faith by hearing. And we're not asked to just believe or to just take it by faith. We're invited. We're invited to believe what happened based on the testimony of people who were actually there. John was actually there. And toward the end of his life, he writes this down for us. Because of what he saw. Because of what he heard he was convinced because of what he saw because of what he heard he was convinced that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever 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 you might be like well John didn't know the kind of whoever I am and Craig you don't know the kind of whoever I am that whoever places their faith in Jesus will never perish will never be lost to God but would receive eternal life John believed because of what he saw. He he was convinced that God took on flesh and walked among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. And John would say, if he could walk out here today, he would say, I was just a simple fisherman, but I know what I saw. And it was so amazing that I wanted to share it with you And I didn't write it all down just so that you would know what happened. It's way bigger than that. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Listen, our hope in this series as we walk through these signs is that you will consider the evidence. Our hope is that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Our hope is that you will understand that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and that he rose again on Easter Sunday morning to give you life in his name. Life in his name here on earth and life in his name for all of eternity in heaven. When you believe, you get life. Would you pray with me? Again, I I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know what's going on in your life. Don't know where you've been, where you're headed. But maybe you did take a moment today and and think deeply about your faith. If you're following Jesus today, I want you to be encouraged that it all had purpose, that it wasn't random, that every miracle that Jesus performed had a purpose, and it pointed to something, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God but maybe you're here and maybe you've been battling with that tension maybe you've been struggling with this entire idea of faith and and, and maybe today the the light just kind of went on for you and you would say and I think I'm willing to take Christ today would you just pray this prayer with me if you're watching online you can pray with me as well just say dear God Man, I, I know that, that I'm a sinner, but I hear that that word whoever, and it means it means everybody, and that's that's me. I, I know I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for me. And you know, today I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. And by believing, I want a life today. I want new life today. So Jesus. I'm calling on you to save me. I ask you to forgive my sins. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. Beginning today, I want to follow you for the rest of my days. I put my trust in you. I believe in you, Jesus. And We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching online and you made a decision to follow Jesus today, would you just let our online host know, if you're in the room today, And you want to talk a little bit more about faith. If you want to explore faith, I'm going to be at the Next Steps area. I would love to talk with you. I would love to talk with you through what God's doing in your life. Eddie's going to be out in a minute. Let's sing this song together again. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us online at MarathonChurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at MarathonChurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church podcast.